0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 259 of the show. And uh, it's our first time in a while having back-to-back Monday episodes, Uh, because we've been doing bi-weekly episodes for a while. Uh, My dad passed away in March, so last time we did like weekly episodes was in February, shut everything down for a while. Came back on in August to do some bi-weekly episodes, and uh, yeah, we're shifting back to weekly. I can't promise that it will be weekly forever, (laughs) you know? Uh, Grief is still, it's a complicated thing, you know? It's swirling around, comes and it goes, and it does what it wants to do. And so there might be weeks where I just can't do the normal things to get the episodes out, and it is what it is, you know? Uh, But thank you. Thank you for all of you for being gentle with my heart. uh, Encouraging me to take the time to create the space to feel what I have to feel. Uh, Some people have told me they've reached out and said that when you come back, we'll be here. You know, we're not going anywhere. And so thank you for that. Because that relieves a lot of pressure. You know, because there was that inner soldier voice all summer saying you need to keep doing the podcast, (laughs) you know, you need to keep reading the books, interviewing the people, editing the show, keep doing the things, and I was just like, no, like, I just can't do it, you know, I don't want to do it, and uh, there was even a time when I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to do it again, you know, because things just felt too heavy, and yeah, but then I got the itch to start kind of doing some bi-weekly things, Got the itch to start interviewing people again, and uh, yeah, I've got, I've got the itch. I've worked in some things, just so you know. Some breaks for myself, because I know that I will need that, especially with the holidays coming up. Uh, I can typically record, like, two episodes a week, and so I usually, like, Mondays and Wednesdays, I try to make those the recording times, and so I'm doing that in uh, October and November, but then I'm not recording anything in December. I decided to just take the whole month and not record anything. I have episodes to go out, but I'm not going to do any kind of recording. Um, And then in January, uh, the first week of January, uh, I have a lot of episodes that are uh, a lot of episodes that are recorded uh, from the spring before my dad passed away, and I'm like just starting to get them out now. And if I if I just keep doing like one a week, it's going to backlog everything. So. I'm actually going to do a special series the first week of January. I'm going to release five episodes that week. We're going to call this series like New Ideas for the New Year. And so there's going to be a lot of interesting conversations about different topics that might give people fun things to think about for the new year. And so then we'll record January, February, but then in March, right, one year since my dad passed away, again, not going to record and I'm even, I'm going to shut the podcast down for that month. No episodes. No recording, no nothing. Then we'll pick things back up in April and May, do some more recording, and then for the summer, same thing. You know, I might do bi-weekly episodes again in the summer. Or maybe be able to keep going with weekly episodes, I'm not sure. But I might record like once you know a couple a month or something like that. But nothing nothing crazy. Just to kind of build in some regular breaks for myself. Because I know that Uh, I just know I need it. And so I'm trying to take care of my heart, you know. And again, thank you to all of you uh, who have reached out to encourage me to do just that. Uh, So anyway, today we are talking to James Martin, Father James Martin. Uh, This episode, I just recorded this like a couple of weeks ago uh, because he came out with a brand new book called Come Forth, uh, The Promise of Jesus' Greatest Miracle, And like three, two years ago, three years ago, I forget. He was on the show. And at the end of the episode, he mentioned the idea for this book. He was just brainstorming the idea. And I was like, dude, when you write this book, we need to talk about it. (laughs) And so I saw the book come out. didn't know it was coming out. It was like a surprise. I saw it pop up. I'm like, oh, like this is the book that we talked about. And so I reached out to him. I'm like, the book is out. You need to come on the podcast and talk about it. So It was like a week's time of planning and we got him on the show. Uh, Harper, his publisher, was nice enough to send me a copy of the book. Uh, I have another copy of the book, which if you follow me on social media this week, the week that this is out, I'll be doing a giveaway so you can kind of follow along and maybe win a copy of the book. But anyway, uh, really interesting stuff. This is a story of Jesus' raising of Lazarus from the dead. And some really, really interesting perspective and lots of encouragement, right? Because one of the big things in the story, right? Spoiler alert is that Lazarus dies, but he dies after his sisters, Mary and Martha tell Jesus, like, he's sick. You've got to come and take care of him. And Jesus is like, all right. And he like shows up like late, like three days later, whatever. And the guy's been dead and he shows up and they're like, where were you? Like, what were you doing? Right. And so the encouragement is like, he talks about this at the end of the episode. Like, there's so many times in life where we feel like God is late to the party, right? He's late to the thing where we need him to be. And that's frustrating, you know? And I talked about it with him after we recorded because we were running tight on time because he only had a 30 minute slot. But after we were done recording really quick, I talked to him about about my dad. And I was like, you know, prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And for a lot of times, it felt like God just didn't show up. Where were you? What were you doing? Right? And so the book has a lot of encouragement in there for people who find themselves in that place. And we're all in that place, right? Whether you're praying for something about work, your family, a sickness, money, whatever – How many times does it feel like God is not showing up or God is late or God is not arriving or God is like in another universe doing something else, right? So many times. And so this book really speaks into that place. You've got to get the book. Go to Amazon. I'm not doing it any justice. I'm just blabbering because the book was so, it was so helpful for me. There's so many different things. It's like a 300-page book. It's big. Uh, So it's going to take you some time to get through. But yet it's an easy read because James writes in this way. That's like you're sitting in a coffee shop with him talking and before you know it, you've read like 40 pages because it's that intriguing. So anyway, go pick up a copy. Links are in the show notes. Links to my books in the show notes, Rethinking Everything, Emerging from the Rubble. Link to Patreon if you want to support the show. All the things. We're at seven minutes and 20 seconds. I think that's long enough of an intro. So anyway, all that to say, my friend, episode 259. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your love, your encouragement. Uh, This is Father James Martin. Come forth. The story of Lazarus. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're sitting down with one of my favorite uh, human beings, one of my favorite repeat podcast guests, the one and the only Father James Martin. He's written a brand new book called Come Forth, The Promise of Jesus' Greatest Miracle. And so it's good to have you aboard. Once again, thanks for Uh, stopping by.
1: (laughs) Nice to be back. Thanks for inviting me. Good to be with you.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I don't know if you remember this, but way back in 2020 is the first time you were on the show. We talked about uh, your book, Building a Bridge which I'm happy to say, by the way, got me in all sorts of trouble. (laughs) That's a side note. But (laughs) at the end of the episode, you mentioned your, I guess, brainstorming of this book uh, because you hadn't really started writing it, but it was kind of cooking in your heart. And so you mentioned this book and it grabbed my attention because it's the story about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and some unique perspective that you brought to it. And so what I wanted to say is I got this book like a week ago and because it was like a last minute, we did this last minute invite to get you on the show. And I'm already three quarters of the way through it. It's so good. Thank you. Uh, so
1: really well done. Thank you <laughs> for writing it. Well, you're welcome. I mean, uh, you know, you never know how a book's going to land with people. And uh, one of the things that surprised me about this book, I mean, this this may sound like I'm, this is like, what do they say, humble brag, but um, <laughs> I really am surprised uh, how many people are enjoying it because it's a very specific topic, you know, and mm-hmm. I I love the story of the raising of Lazarus and I thought, are other people going to be interested in it? And yeah. So thank you. I, I appreciate that. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, definitely. And for our
0: listeners, I have an extra copy. So I have two copies. Uh, I'm not giving mine away because it's highlighted, but I have an extra copy to give away. So for our listeners, uh, listen, watch me on social media and I'll share with you how to win it because I'm going to give it away. Enjoy it. All right. So first thing is first, um, can you maybe tell us the story of Lazarus and Jesus raising him from the dead for people who maybe aren't too familiar with it. I think most people probably know the story, but you are the
1: master storyteller. So
0: maybe uh, give us, set, set the scene for us, if you would.
1: <laughs> well, in all humility, the master storyteller here would be uh, the writer of John's gospel. but <laughs> He's pretty good. <laughs> so, yeah, he's pretty good. So um, uh, so it's in John chapter 11. And mm-hmm. basically what happens is he's there's a man introduced called Lazarus. He's mm-hmm. The brother of Martha and Mary, who are Jesus's friends, who live in a town called Bethany, which is outside of Jerusalem, and he's sick. And the sisters send word to Jesus, uh, and they say very powerfully, uh, he whom you love is ill. Your your beloved friend is ill. Jesus waits a couple days, very Mm -hmm. mysterious. He's on the other side of the Jordan River where he's just been, because he's left because he was threatened with a stoning. Uh, He comes back um, to Bethany, Mm -hmm. uh, or rather he goes to Bethany. And then the sisters greet him and say, complaining a little bit, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They both say that. Hmm. He asks where the tomb is. They say, come and see, which is interesting. That's the first thing that Jesus says at the beginning of the gospel of John to his disciples. Hmm. They bring him to the tomb. Uh, Lazarus has now been dead for four days. This, I mean, he's dead. Um, mm-hmm. Jesus says to the people who think maybe he's asleep, no, he's dead. Uh, he says, take away the stone. Uh, and he shouts out. Basically, he shouts out, actually, the, the, the most literal translation is come out um, mm-hmm. come out or come forth in some translations. And Lazarus comes out, um, wrapped in his grave claws, and Jesus says, untie him and let him go. So it is traditionally called Jesus's greatest miracle. There are two other places in the Gospels where he raises people from the dead. Um, one is the daughter of Jairus, a synagogue official, and one is the son of a widow in a town called Nain but this is really the one that people think about when they think about raising from the dead. So that's that's the, 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 the book is kind of a deep dive into that story. Mm-hmm. And really the theme of the book is how God offers us new life and how we're asked to kind of leave behind in our metaphorical tombs um, what keeps us unfree. Yeah. Now you
0: talk in the book about how you have actually been to the place uh, in the Holy Land that's believed to be or known as Lazarus's tomb. And so can you share with us like a little bit about I know you've been there multiple times but like what have your experiences been like in that place and are there any like specific ways that actually being there in this scene that this story kind of captures that it's like
1: informed your perspective on the story Yeah what a great question thank you um mm-hmm. well the, the 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 most incredible thing frankly about being there one of the most incredible things is the name of the town. So in, I mean, I think most of your listeners would know the name of the town, Bethany. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of things happen. Jesus visits Mary and Martha's house in Bethany. That's a big scene where Martha complains her sister isn't doing enough work and blah, blah, blah. So that's pretty well known. Um, but the town is now called al al mm-hmm. uh, E-I-Z-A-R-I-Y-A. It's a transliteration of the Arabic, which means place of Lazarus. Hmm. Which I have to say, that just blew me away. So in Arabic, it's called the Place of Lazarus, uh, and you can go there. Not a whole lot of pilgrims go there. When I went there the first time, there were I think two or th- I went with two other Jesuits. I'm a Jesuit priest. Hmm. There was no one in the tomb, and it's this, it's it's a very hard uh, kind of description. That's why I put a lot of pictures in the book. Uh, there's a church, the Church of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and then you go up a hill. And kind of built into this hillside is this doorway, and you go mm-hmm. down the stairs, maybe like a whole flight or two of stairs, into this dark, stone-cold cave, essentially, mm-hmm. where there are niches in the wall. And it's been venerated since, I think, it's like the third century. So that has a pretty good claim of being, this is it. So certainly, certainly this is a first-century tomb in the town of Bethany. It's clearly, mm-hmm. this is Bethany. And it's always been reputed to be Lazarus's tomb. I, I think you know the, the the main thing that I took away was, and as I said, this is the theme of the book. When I was in there all by myself, I thought, well, what I mean, what's my prayer going to be here? And I thought, well, you know what? What do I need to let die, and mm-hmm. how do I need to let God call me to new life? So that that was the that was the prayer that I did. Um, but I, I really wanted to give people a sense of the real life setting of the story because you know most people are not going to go there. So I talk about it and also include, as I said, a lot of pictures.
0: What was it what's it like I mean what's it like coming when you're coming out of that tomb like when you are think like when you go down you go down into it then you come out of it like are you thinking about like is this story running through your head as you're stepping out of the tomb like are you thinking about Lazarus like coming forth out of the tomb and like what that was like for him cuz i would imagine like that would be all swimming around in my head if i was in that if I, if i was in that place
1: no absolutely and i think you know now some people go i've been there when there's tourists they're taking pictures and like yeah 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 I told tell, tell that story in the book and so not everybody <laughs> goes in there in a pious way but you know sure. like not everybody goes into you know different churches in a pious sure. way yeah it's you know now i think that it's probably more underground than it was in jesus's time it was probably more kind of level you know there have been kind of layers and layers built on top of it but yeah that is what i'm thinking when i'm coming yeah. out what was it like for him to, to 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 really had to decide to come out i mean jesus restores him to life but I was on a podcast recently, and someone said the most interesting thing, which I'd never even thought about. I'm going to put it in whatever revised edition I do. Yeah, that this is the Lazarus is the first one that this has happened to, right? Mm. To be raised from the dead in his tomb, and he had to say, "I love the way that this woman put it. Okay, I know no one's ever done this before, but I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm I'm going to give it a (laughs) go. Yeah, I'm going to get up, walk out, and uh, so so part of it is really this feeling, and I'm 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 thinking about it now you know what do i really want to let go of what i want to leave behind and can i really hear god saying to me you know you can be freed of whatever it is whatever addiction a disappointment an unhealthy pattern anger you know and and so i i do think about that when i come out It's it's a it's a pretty powerful place for me yeah
0: yeah that's really good so is like in your estimation is and you have a whole chapter on this in the book but is lazarus a real Was he a real person, and does it matter? Because for me, coming from my tradition, I'm I'm coming from the evangelical world where everything is super literal, and I I spent my whole life trying to build arguments for the you know the literal things of the Bible, like every story is literal, everything's historical, all these different things, and I feel like my brain is like an overload with all of that these days. So I'm just like in this place where I'm less interested in those kind of things. But you made a comment in the book where you said that this is actually something that's really Intriguing to you and really important to you. So, I guess, do you think he's a real person and why does that matter to you?
1: Yeah, I do. I, you know, I think, look, I, I'm not a literalist or a fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I always point out to people is you look at, for example, the infancy narratives, you know, mm-hmm. Bethlehem, Nazareth, they don't match up. Now, that yep. does not mean that Jesus was not born of Mary and that Joseph was not her husband and that they were in Bethany. But The the chronology just doesn't match up between um, Luke and Matthew. So Mm -hmm. we can't take them literally. They are, they are, but they are telling a story, you know, they may get some facts wrong. They may embellish other facts. In the case of Lazarus and, and a lot of these, the gospel stories, I think it does matter to me if it happened or not, you Mm -hmm. know? So, so there are some edits that are going on. Okay. So there was not a reporter at the tomb. So did Martha, Jesus cam, (laughs) Jesus (laughs) cam. Did Martha say that exact quote? Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe it was a little different. But did Jesus go to Bethany? Was Lazarus sick? Were his sisters Mary and Martha? Did Lazarus come out of the tomb? Yes, I believe that. Mm-hmm. Um and I believe it not in a kind of vague sense like oh the community believes it, but I believe it. Mm-hmm. What and and I look in the book about uh in the beginning of the book about the question of, you know, how do we know that? One of the ways that that scholars believe that one of the re- reasons why scholars believe that this is true is that Lazarus has a name. Mm-hmm. And so he's not just a man or a woman with a hemorrhage. And scholars believe that when the names are retained, it means that the early Christian community knew these people. Mm-hmm. And look, Mary and Martha appear in Luke's gospel, too. And they're pretty much the same. Martha is the kind of active one. Mary's the contemplative one in Luke. In John, Martha is the active one, too. She runs out to greet him. So look I think it's it's pretty clear to me that the, these are real characters whose whose personalities also shine through in the gospel story so there's lots of different uh, uh things I go over that sort of tells us why we believe Lazarus is real and I certainly do so so like I said I think you know word for word mm-hmm. did Jesus say these things did Mark maybe there's some embellishing going on because, you know, remember this is a couple decades after it's an oral tradition. They would have embellished it a little bit. John's stressing some things, not others. Did it actually happen? Yes. Yeah. I believe it happened.
0: Yeah. One of the highlight, one of the, I think the high points of the book for me, and this is what you had mentioned when you're on the podcast back in 2020 was about some of the scholarship out there. Some of the ideas that Lazarus is the beloved disciple who's His name is kind of unmentioned throughout the book of John, but he makes these random appearances. And I was always taught in seminary, like, well, that's probably John, or maybe it's John Mark or somebody else, whatever. But it's one of those people. But in the book, you talk about this scholarship about why it could be Lazarus. And so I'm wondering if you could share a little, you don't want to give away all the pearls of wisdom from the book, but if you could kind of tease us a little bit and talk about some of the ideas out there as to why the beloved disciple might be Lazarus and how that Kind of changes the story
1: for us if it is yeah it kind of blew me away i mean i, I as i say in the book i was out with a friend who's a new testament scholar and i was talking about you know as one would with a new testament scholar.
0: Right. <laughs> why not
1: <laughs> yeah, why not uh lazarus and he said i think he literally said by the way he said well i'm sure you know about the scholarship around Lazarus being the beloved disciple. And I said, what? Say what? <laughs> and he, being a good scholar, just kind of laid it out. Boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom here. It just blew me away. Now, I had been researching this book for a year or two by that point. And I just dove right, right into it. And basically, so for people who may not be familiar, as you were saying, the beloved disciple is, in John's gospel, is the source of many of the stories. And John, the writer of John's gospel says, you know, we know this is to be true, mm-hmm. etc." and it's a kind of mysterious figure people have debated who it is is it john the evangelist who's writing the gospel well most people say at this point like well it it isn't because they're almost seen as like two different characters the person writing is talking about the beloved disciple right
0: yeah
1: excuse me um some people think it's the apostle thomas some people Mm -hmm. say it's mary magdalene some people say i think probably the most common thing is it's it's in every person right Mm -hmm. so the beloved disciple is all of us so the beloved disciple Uh, reclines on Jesus's uh, chest when at the Last Supper. The beloved disciple is at the tomb. The beloved disciple takes Mary into his house. So it's we're all the beloved disciple. Mm -hmm. But a lot of scholarship now says that it's probably, I would say, Lazarus. And how do we know that? Well, first of all, one of the really interesting things that kind of blew my mind, Lazarus's story is in John 11, John chapter 11. Mm -hmm. The beloved disciple doesn't appear until after that. So it's as if this is his introduction. And Lazarus is called he whom you love, the beloved one, hon philes, okay? So it is very strange that if the beloved disciple was anyone else, where is he in the first part of John? Then there are all these kind of internal uh, proofs. Um, one of the most powerful ones, frankly, and the one that really said, oh, okay, now I, now I kind of see this. In John 21... There's a lot of Bible nerds out there. They'll know that um, John 21 is when the risen Christ appears to the disciples um, at, at the Sea of Galilee. Um, he is on the shore. They're they're fishing. And Peter and the beloved disciple, this is what he's called through the whole thing, sees Jesus and says, it is the Lord. They jump into the water. They go there without belaboring it. Jesus has this famous dialogue with Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? OK, at the end of that, Peter says the strangest thing. Peter says, pointing to the beloved disciple, what about him? Let's <laughs> just it's <laughs> talk about a non sequitur. Right. I, often, I often use this in spiritual circles <laughs> to say to people, you know, when when you're in some sort of communion with God, you know, like, like, pay attention. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> like Stop thinking about somebody else. Right. And so the response is Jesus says, I'm paraphrasing, um, you know, what is it to you if this person, you know, stays around? And. The line in John's gospel is the rumor, therefore, arose that this person would never die now. Mm -hmm. That makes very little sense about some Galilean fisherman. Uh, It makes a lot of sense about someone who's been raised from the dead. Mm All right. So that's one of many proofs that I go go into the other kind of sort of a fun proof, I think, is that the beloved disciple on Easter Sunday morning gets to the tomb before. Peter. He, he out he, he outraces him, I think, is the right. word in the Gospels. Why is it? Well, if he's from Bethany, he knows the way. I mm-hmm. mean, he knows where he's going. He looks in. What does he see? He sees the grave cloth and the head covering, the Greek word is sudarion, rolled up. He believes. We're told he believes. John's Gospel says he believes. Now, that could be a subtle put down of Peter, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's oh, the beloved disciple believes first. But it could also mean if it's Lazarus. How does he believe by looking into the tomb and seeing the grave clothes? Because he was just raised from the dead. Yeah. So he gets it, and then then in a, a beautiful um, hmm. parallel. I love this that when Lazarus comes out of the tomb, he's wearing his head covering, his grave clothes. When Jesus comes out of his tomb, his, his are all rolled up. He's not going to need, need them anymore. Hmm. So anyway, I I, I don't want to uh, go into all the the reasons, but those yeah. are some of the reasons people are saying he at least has a good claim to be. Um, at what the scholars call the b d, the beloved disciple.
0: yeah. So what, like, what what unique perspective can that bring to the story? Because, like I'm thinking about like growing up in church and hearing sermons where the beloved disciple makes an appearance. And a lot of times it's kind of like brushed aside. like the the pastor might make some kind of mention of who he thinks it is or whatever. but like it's not really the main focus. but I think that if if this is Lazarus who we're talking about, and Lazarus is the main figure, in this huge miracle that Jesus did. And the beloved disciples mentioned however many times after this big event, like what, just maybe off the top of your head, like, is there any like unique perspective that could bring to the stories that maybe we have missed growing up?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a couple things. First of all, if it is Lazarus, it makes the story of Lazarus even more important than it is. I mean, it is the Mm -hmm. summit of what John calls the book of signs, right? It's the yeah. first part of John's gospel. The other the other thing is that um, it kind of explains that a lot of the theology of John's gospel
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, you know, so the synoptics, I mean, this is kind of unfair, but the synoptics have a little bit of a lower Christology. Jesus seems a little more human than he is in John's gospel where mm-hmm. he is kind of always in command as one scripture scholar said to me, if you've been, and if, if Lazarus as the beloved disciple is the source of all these stories, it kind of explains why John's gospel has a high Christology, as this one scripture scholar said to me, if someone raises you from the dead, you know, you have a pretty high understanding already uh, of who he is. So I think it helps uh, it helps us to understand uh, John's gospel. It's just also it's just kind of beautiful that this guy yeah. that by, by the way, has no words in the gospels, Yeah, guy that is is Jesus's friend, Lazarus, is this. Is this is this kind of mysterious figure? It's kind of a fun detective story, too. We'll we'll know well, I don't think we'll ever know. I mean, we'll yeah. know when we get to heaven and, and we meet the beloved disciple and he says, right. Guess what? Here, guess
0: what, I guess. <laughs> right. It was me all along. <laughs> right. So one of the things I love about the book and really just your work in general is you you have a lot of scholarship in this book. Like it's not just random ideas that you came up with, but you have a lot of names, a lot of resources that you refer to, which I appreciate. And what I noticed is that there's a lot of Um, I would call like modern scholars that are referenced in the book, Uh, people like A.J. Levine, uh, Elizabeth Schrader, somebody you mentioned, she's kind of fresh coming on the scene, but they've both been on the show before and they both present some really interesting perspective on a lot of stories. What I've noticed just in my own interactions with people from my former tribe, uh, the more evangelical people, more conservative, fundamentalist, is that 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 kind of scholarship sometimes makes them feel uncomfortable because it's like... step. Forces you almost to rethink some things that maybe you haven't thought you'd ever have to rethink, and kind of push it up against some boundaries and things like that. But you kind of reference those things very freely in here, and I've noticed that even like in the book, like you you would list uh, various um, scholars and various ideas, and I could tell like by what you were writing, it's not maybe something that you necessarily agreed with, but yet you felt comfortable with it anyway. And so I'm wondering, like as as you're putting this book together and as you're doing these interviews, things like that. Like why, in what, what ways does this scholarship kind of help you, I guess you could say, in your journey through the Bible? And why is it that you're so comfortable with it?
1: I'm really glad you asked that question because you're right. Some people think it's some some sort of threat to one's faith. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it helps us understand Jesus better. I mean, if you yeah. understand the history better and you understand what's going on better, you understand the gospels better, you're going to understand Jesus better. So the, the best example that I and, and so I think it's important to kind of look at what the current scholarship tells us current scholarship about the beloved disciple. You know, that doesn't challenge my belief about anything. It just mm-hmm. it's an interesting uh, sort of uh, question about, you know, who it could be. And we, it invites us to think more deeply about the beloved disciple and Lazarus. The best example um, would be in the story of Lazarus something very simple. So let's say you're just reading the story without any reference to any scholarship. You're just Mm -hmm. reading it straight through. And it's a beautiful story and you believe in it. But there is this part of the story where it says, uh, accordingly, Jesus waited where he was for two days. And you just think, well, what's that about? Okay. Now, if you read some historical scholarship about the life and times of uh, people in first century Galilee and Judea, you'll find out that uh, Jewish people at the time many of them believed that the soul hovered around the body for two or three days okay that's just that's just an historical fact that's one of the things that a lot of Jews believed at the time so a lot of scholars and if you read a, a commentary a lot of scholars will say this may be one of the reasons why Jesus waited hmm. okay so in his other two miracles the widow of Nain's son the, the guy still on the funeral procession the daughter of Jairus she's kind of just died and it is a sense of Jesus wanting, perhaps, to show people he's dead. Mm. I mean, this guy is dead. It's been four days now. He's in the tomb. So even that little bit of historical scholarship, which you are not going to get from the story because it doesn't, it doesn't tell you, right, mm. helps you understand the story better. From a theological point of view, if you read Bible commentaries and you read that in John's gospel, uh, the writer is always portraying Jesus as in control, in command. You might say, aha, okay. Well, then maybe this is another reason why John is writing it this way. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean you don't believe it. It means you understand it better. And frankly, I, I want to understand as much as possible uh, about Jesus, his life and times, w- w- what he what he means when he what he what, what he says, what he mean, what, what he means by what he says. Another small thing, you know, when Martha says, I know that you are the Messiah. Yeah. What did that mean back then? Now, we as 21st century English speaking people have an idea of what the Messiah means. It meant something different back then. Or did it mean something different back then? Why would you not want to know about this stuff? But you're right. It, it does. It does sort of, um, I think, confuse people because they hear, oh, you don't need any of this scholarship. Well, I think you do. I mean, you yeah. don't have to be a scripture scholar to read the stories. You don't have to read tons and tons of books, but a little bit of knowledge about what Jesus is saying what the context is, you know, how the story was put together, I think helps us understand it better.
0: Yeah. I used to get really nervous when I would come across somebody, like a scholar who would kind of refute something that I always took for granted in the scriptures as being like something that was literal or something like that. And they would kind of come come in and show like why this particular event didn't happen the way that it, it says it happened. And that used to make me really kind of rattle my cage a little bit and get me all out of sorts. But then I started to realize that like, it almost, I've almost grown to appreciate those instances a lot because maybe the person's right, maybe they're not right. Maybe it is literal, maybe it's not literal, whatever. But if it's not literal, then my question becomes, well, why did they tell the story the way that they told it? Like what, what unique, what unique thing is the writer trying to bring to the story of Jesus to make this certain thing up in the way that they did? It's not like they were trying to be deceitful, but what kind of story they're trying to tell with
1: this magical, wonderful thing that they put into the text. Absolutely. And and look, these stories were told by four different people at roughly yeah. different times mm-hmm. to somewhat different audiences. So if you and I were telling the story of, uh make someone up, Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's take, I'm, I'm sure you admire Nelson Mandela, right? Yeah. So let's take Nelson Mandela. So you and I, we set out to write, both we write these 200 page books about Nelson Mandela. All right, we're going to write probably completely different books. Yeah. Now we'll have the same general. He was this. He was in prison. He was free. He was president. He said these things. He inspired these people. But you and I are going to focus on different things. We're going to focus on different things. You're going to focus on one thing. I might focus on another thing. Yours might be more inspirational. Mm -hmm. You might have almost nothing about his childhood because it's all about his work in X, Y, Z. I might have a lot about his childhood. You might have a lot of quotes. I also may get some things wrong. Now, remember, also, this is this is an oral culture we're dealing with, and so when you think about that in terms of the gospel writers, it's not surprising that they they that that they diverge a little bit um, in some places. Yeah. It's not surprising they don't cover some things. You know, in Mark's gospel and John's gospel, there's no infancy narrative. You know, mm-hmm. doesn't mean it didn't happen. Doesn't mean yeah. Jesus wasn't born. Lazarus doesn't appear in the synoptics, which I I talk about. It's just different ways of telling the story. So, and and years later, people will say, okay. You know why did this guy tell the story would say why did this guy tell the story that way it helps us understand and, and get back to the the basis so that that's yeah. never really bothered me as much i find it fascinating frankly
0: yeah I, uh, aj levine came on a few months ago to talk about her book on the miracles of jesus i think she might have wrote about this miracle and I, I don't remember but she talked about that very thing about the gospels and she said you know the gospel writers weren't writing the gospels to you <laughs> you know she said they were writing them to specific communities of people going through specific things Who were following Jesus, and she was trying. They were trying to show these people how they could follow Jesus even better. And so they crafted the story with that in mind, not to be deceitful, not to differ. They told the story the way they told it because that's the way they wanted to tell it,
1: and that's it. Yeah, my my scripture professor, my New Testament professor, Dan Harrington, who I reference in the book a lot, used to say they're not biographies. Right. faith documents and you know this is the reason why at the end of gospel of mark i mean there's hardly anything about the resurrection you know there's yeah. the short run and the long run and you think well wait why why would you tell that well i mean you know this is 30 years later they know the story there it's yeah. it's this kind of sort of sending out it's it's the prelude to the resurrection he's alive. there's lots of different reasons they don't do that but you're right it's and i, I guess i wish from from my perspective i wish catholics took Bible commentary a little more seriously. So what I try to do in the book is really popularize some of this stuff and really make it accessible and then pull it out of Bible commentaries and and give it to the the general reader.
0: Yeah, that's so good. All right, last question for you, because we're getting short on time Um, real quick. The one thing you mentioned already in the conversation was about Jesus's delay uh, when the sisters reach out to him. Lazarus is sick. He seems to take his sweet old time to get there. Um, so there's a lot of reasons that you give, you already mentioned a couple of them, but you have a whole chapter on it, but what would you say to the person listening today? If they were on the mic who feels like Jesus or God or the divine has delayed into their situation, they've been asking, begging, pounding on the gates of heaven, and they just don't know where he is.
1: What would you say to them? Well, let me tell you, that's probably like three quarters or 90% of the people listening. Yeah. Everyone has that. They have some lives, they have an illness, they have a relationship, they have a financial problem. I'm sure everyone has sort of struggled with that. Uh, And it's the question of suffering, the mystery of suffering. Um, Mm -hmm. The first thing I would say is that sometimes we have to believe in a God we don't understand. Right. And that there really is no satisfactory answer for the mystery of suffering. Um, You know, Martha, when Jesus comes, still says, so Jesus has not come for their brother. She still calls him Lord, mm. which is very beautiful. And she professes her faith in him. So the first thing I would say, it is an invitation to continue to believe. That's the first thing. Second thing, I think it's it's an invitation to be honest. Martha's pretty honest. Mm-hmm. If you'd been her, my brother would not have died. So there's, there's honesty. There's trust, right? That God hears you. And then there's finally acceptance, mm. right? Hard as it is. You know, even Jesus prays about this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Underlying all that though is that is is two things. One, Jesus is with you, right? The way that Jesus is, is with Martha. Um, second, that Jesus knows what you're going through. Mm. I mean, he he himself prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, let this cup pass by me. But it's a very difficult question, and I think I I re, re, respond very strongly to some like easy answers, like oh, God's God's testing you. Well, that, that may be true, but that's not helpful for people who are going through difficult situations or. God has something better in mind. God's giving you something better, and let's like take the worst situation. Let's say you have a child who's sick. You don't tell a parent whose child is sick, "Oh, God's giving you something better," right? Yeah, yeah. I think the invitation is to is to continue to be in relationship, to continue to pray, to continue to be honest, yeah, to trust, uh, and as as far as possible to accept. But that's why I think this story is so powerful. They Martha is very honest, and also that suffering is not the last word. Right. We believe in some way there is resurrection, which is which is really the end of the story. Um, yeah. It's it's such a powerful story that way. But I I mean, I look, I have things in my own life that I struggle with like that, that I've been praying for for years and years and years. And it, I, I still continue to be in relationship with God. Yeah.
0: Amen to that. Well, my friend, it is one thirty and you have places to go. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for this book, your work.
1: Uh, you're the best. My pleasure. Thanks so much. God bless you. And it's really a great joy to be with you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you.